Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Smart Center's REIT Q1 2020 conference call. Today's conference is being recorded, and at this time I would like to turn the conference over to Mr. Peter Ford, President and CEO. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, and good evening. Welcome to the Smart Center's Q1 2020 conference call. Joining me on the call today are Mitch Goldhar, Executive Chairman, Peter Sweeney, Chief Financial Officer, and Rudy Gobin, EVP portfolio management and investments. The agenda for the call will begin with comments by Mitch and myself, followed by Peter Sweeney, who will talk about our results for the quarter and financial position, and then we will take your questions. Our comments will mostly refer to the first 13 pages and pages 22 and 23 of our supplemental information package and the outlook section of our MDNA, which are posted on our website. I refer you specifically to the cautionary language on pages 2 and 3 of the supplemental material, which also applies to comments any of the speakers make this evening. Our first quarter financial results show a strong start to 2020, flowing from our stable portfolio of predominantly Walmart-anchored shopping centers. Peter Sweeney will comment further in a few minutes. The financial results for the balance of 2020 are being negatively impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Our priority during this period of uncertainty is to protect our employees, the communities we serve, our tenants, and our business, while doing everything possible to mitigate the financial implications. Our shopping center portfolio is 98% leased at March 31 and remains focused on essential services and value-oriented retail, not fashion, recreational, or entertainment retail. It is well suited for these turbulent conditions. First, that 60% is based on revenue of the REIT's tenant base is comprised of essential services which continue to operate throughout this crisis supporting local communities with its everyday groceries, pharmaceuticals, banking, liquor, general merchandise, and other essentials. This 60% is closer to 70% for the non-greater vector markets we have shopping centers in, in markets where our centers are often the essential service hub of the area. And of course, this essential service list grew again today with Premier Ford's most recent announcement in Ontario. The value-oriented focus of our tenants, including Walmart, which anchors 75% of our properties, rep representing over 25% of our rental income, is well-suited to serving its community during these poor economic conditions, which will no doubt continue beyond the resolution of the pandemic itself. 98% of our revenues from shopping centers are open format, i.e. not enclosed mall space. They're outdoor centers enabling customers to practice physical distancing while completing shopping for their everyday needs. And of course, the strength of the covenants of our strong, stable tenant base Walmart, Loblaws, Shoppers Drug Mart, Canadian Tire, Sobeys, 
Dollarama, Rexall, LCBO, Lowe's, Canadian Tire, Home Depot, the five major banks, and more. We recognize the importance of small independent retailers to the Canadian economy. Our rent relief focus to date has been on supporting these non-essential business small independent retailers, representing approximately 6% of our contracted rent, and have offered rent deferrals to over 525 tenants. Recently, the federal and provincial governments have announced the, Canadian, the Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance, or SECRA, program designed to assist certain tenants such that effectively the tenant bears 25% of the cost, the landlord 25%, and the government 50%. Details of the program have gradually been developed and announced, but it is not yet clear as to which of our tenants will qualify and the mechanics of the relief. And with that, I'll turn it over to Mitch. Thanks, Peter. Well, rent collection in the second quarter will continue, will continue to be somewhat challenging. We should start to see some change in trend. We, ex we expect to be able to find ways to accommodate tenants with a real need when appropriate and justified, assisting them with a way forward at the conclusion of the pandemic. Rent collected for April improved from the situation outlined in our April 21st press release. There is a new term that seems to be used in describing rent collected in this environment, and I will take the opportunity to use it that term being expected rent. Expected rent being the amount of contracted rent less the amount of rent deferred, offered, and accepted by tenants. Excluding the two outlet centers, which were closed, we collected 72% of our expected rent in April, or 69% of our contracted rent for the month. We expect to be collecting much of the remaining unpaid amount over time. Peter? No, I think actually there's uh, some further well, mention. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, so in the first part of April, we collected 68% of tenants' contracted rents. And by the end of the month, we were at 69%, excluding the outlet centers. And in fact, we are still receiving rents related to April. We are experiencing the same level of collection in early May to date and that we did for April and expect this to also grow throughout the month. We expect the stronger national tenants will ultimately pay their April and May rents. And if the government program is made available to the smaller independent retailers, we expect the combined overall receipts will end up with this COVID-19 COVID affected period um, to end up being in the 85 to 90% range. And as we move through the second half of the year, we expect this to grow back somewhere between that range and our original 98%.
Now I'll turn it back over to Peter. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Peter Sweeney will address our strong liquidity position, including cash operating line and undrawn construction financing. <clears throat> but I wanted to reinforce the focus right now on operational and general and administrative expenditures. Because most of our properties have operating Walmarts and other others essential tenants, a, a certain standard of scheduled repairs and maintenance must be provided. We are cutting back to a level commensurate with the reduction in non-essential tenant customer traffic. However, optional upgrades and or co cosmetic expenditures that are not health and life safety related are being postponed. And general and administrative expenses are being monitored and curtailed as appropriate, but without impacting our ability to satisfy demands of current conditions and carry through with our longer-term perspective initiatives, which we'll be talking more about. We are investigating participation in any government programs available to assist in maintaining our workforce. One factor coming to play in this COVID environment is, is our experience with Penguin Pickup. Five years ago, we partnered with Penguin Pickup now a mature operating business that provides customers with more than just the curbside pickup that is happening every day now. It provides a one-stop pickup location for their online purchases from all sources with a rapidly expanding network of over 100 locations across Canada. Two years ago, Smart Center supported Walmart Canada's test and rollout of grocery pickup at our properties and introduced co-branded Walmart Canada Penguin pickup locations to help expand their reach into areas of downtown Toronto where access to their grocery offering is, is limited. With COVID-19 and the customer desire for safe, contactless shopping, our foresight and experience with the above-mentioned initiatives has proven to be a valuable, an extremely valuable, and we are using our five years of last-mile logistics learning to help more of our retailers establish a curbside pickup option as a natural evolution of Canadian shopping habits. And with that, I'll now turn it back again to Mitch. Thanks. So now let's talk about our continuing transition to a more diversified REIT. We believe it is in the best interest of the REIT to continue to advance our major developments and our intensification program while monitoring our cash flows. A few general reminders about our development pipeline and capabilities. Most of the development initiatives we are planning are, in, are on land we already own. Unlocking value supplemented by selected acquisitions with existing or new strategic partners. We use our in-house development team to drive these initiatives, all contributing to enhanced yields and profits over the long term. Remember, this in-house development team developed over 85% of the retail area we own, plus many shopping centers owned by our peers were developed by smart centers. We know the markets. We have relationships with the municipalities. We understand every detail about each and every one of our properties. It is this team of in-house 
planning experts, developers, engineers, government relations, leasing, environmental, geotech specialists, construction managers, and architects that makes us unique in our sector. This team is actively engaged from home, using our technology to connect seamlessly to our office and to the municipalities, which are also set up to operate remotely. Most municipalities are accepting and processing applications electronically and communicating with us through video conferencing, which is very much appreciated by both sides. Applications are in and being worked on for undeveloped lands, as well as for any opportunities that may result from COVID-19. We have developed through turbulent times before, both as a private company and as a public REIT. For example, we developed through the early 90s, the SARS pandemic in the early 2000s, the financial crisis of 2008. Um, and many less famous down periods. The potential intensification and development program continues to grow as we further review our portfolio for opportunities. The number of potential projects and towers to, to commence construction within the next five years is currently estimated to be at 105. 34 of them are underway comprising some 12.4 million square feet, that's our share, of mixed-use space. A breakdown of these projects by asset type is provided in our MDNA. We carefully select our development partners looking for expertise in these asset classes and with a good cultural fit and complementary skills. I am pleased to report that all new relationships are going extremely well. Rivera, Smartstop, Centercourt, Selection Group, Jadco, Greenwind, and of course our long-standing relationship with Walmart and Penguin and others. Communication with these partners remains excellent during these challenging times. We continue to move forward with all projects, with all of them. At the same time, we are now in a position to do all of these types of developments with our own in-house team. This makes, additionally makes good partners. As a general reminder across our portfolio of properties, virtually none of the additional land value associated with our as-of-right density or potential as-of-right density is reflected in our property IFRS values. Let's look, for example, at the first condominium projects at VMC, Vaughn Metropolitan Center. So Transit City 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, all of which are under construction, sold out, 2,767 2, units. We chose to partner up a number of years ago um, on these first towers, so we own 25% a 25 interest. But many of our other projects we are developing and we'll describe below, we will be doing on our own. So imagine the numbers at 100%, imagine the numbers at 100% interest in the five towers at VMC. VMC is forecast to generate in excess of $360 million profit. In that regard, we still have the ability to build out many times that at VMC alone over the next five to 10 years. To date, we have recognized the increased land value only when 
we closed the sale of an interest in the land with the JV partner, at which time we recognized the uplift and our retained portion as well through an IFRS fair, fair value adjustment. And as a reminder, when we present development project yields or profits from condo projects, land is included in the cost side of the equation at an estimated market value, and all internal fees and capitalization costs are included in the cost as well, which I understand is not the way others may be presenting these same yields. Pages 22 and 23 of the Supplementary Information Package provide yields and profits expectations from our active projects anticipated from, um, anticipated from COVID. For the most part, there is no significant change. You will notice that for now we have removed a new outlet mall. Some specific project highlights. Transit City Condos at VMC, there are five towers, 2,767 units, 100% sold. Three of these towers, 1,741 units, have, we have 20% deposits in place. Two of these towers, 1,026 units, we have 15% deposits in place. And in the case of the last two, 5% further deposit is due in the third quarter of 2020 coming up. Construction continues on all five towers. Closing in TC1 and 2 are expected in the fourth quarter, maybe even some in the third quarter, on or ahead of budget. VMC, um, VMC purpose-built residential rentals, 451 units, are under construction. One tower, purpose-built residential t uh, rental, 171 units in Laval, Quebec. Construction complete and occupancy has commenced and almost 50% leased. Self-storage, 50% leased. Um, one self-storage development in Leaside complete, uh, waiting for occupancy permit. Three others are under construction, paused due to COVID, government emergency orders. Expect they, we expect that they will be permitted to restart very soon. Five others are in process of obtaining municipal approvals. In the seniors' housing space, first let me clarify with all the troubling COVID information that is in the news, almost all of it sad news, relates to long-term care facilities, a business we are not in. With our two partners, we are developing seniors' apartments and seniors' residence, six with Rivera, two with Group Selection. All of these are in the municipal approval stage. As I mentioned earlier, our internal development team has been very active during this time operating remotely. A few examples. The development of up to 5.3 million square feet of predominantly residential space in various forms at Highway 407 in Vaughan. And we have a three-tower mixed-use phase application that we just put in during the, um, the last uh, a uh, few weeks, and that, of course, is just right across from the VMC, and we, we, we expect support for that approval. The development up to 5 million square feet of predominantly residential space in various forms over the long term in Pickering, Ontario, in one of our shopping centers, a two-tower uh, two mixed-use phase one application was just submitted in the last few weeks. The development of up to 5.5 million square feet of predominantly residential space in various forms at Oakville North in Oakville, our shopping center at Dundas and Trafalgar. Two-tower residential phase one 
under underway. The development of up to 3 million square feet of predominantly residential space in various forms at Westside Mall in Toronto on Eglinton Avenue. Mixed use single tower planning underway. Um, and this is for all intents and purposes right in the city. The development of up to 1.7 million square feet of residential space in various forms, including townhomes with Fieldgate, the seniors' residence towers with Rivera, and condominiums and residential rental buildings at the Vaughan Northwest Shopping Center in Vaughan, Ontario, at Weston Road and Major Mac, just across the highway from the new um, hospital, McKenzie Health Network Hospital. The development of up to 1.5 million square feet of residential space in various forms in Pointe Claire, Quebec, just west of Montreal, um, suburb of Montreal, immediately um, phase one and two purpose-built residential rental towers. The development of a four of four high-rise purpose-built re uh, residential rental buildings comprising about approximately 2,000 units with Greenwind in Barrie, Ontario, on the waterfront. The development of high-rise purpose-built residential rental towers on Belle Isle at Young and Davisville with Greenwind. The development of up to 1,600 residential units in various forms in Mascouche, Quebec, just outside suburb of, of Montreal, um, on next to one of our shopping centers. The development of phase, a first phase of a 42-unit rental building, which is part of a potential 10-phase master plan in Alliston, Ontario, on um, a shopping center site. This is just to name a few. And as far as I'm concerned, our REITs unit price has, has really, to date, only been a function of our um, of our historic NOI, and um, and no additional value has been um, reflected uh, from um, the deeply embedded value that we are extracting for the development program. And now I will turn it over to Peter Sweeney. Thanks very much, Mitch, and uh, and good evening, everyone. <clears throat> our financial results for the first quarter of 2020 reflect the continued strength, stability, and security of our 34 million square foot predominantly Walmart-anchored shopping center portfolio. Because of the current environment, we will focus on those operating and financial metrics experienced during the first quarter that underline this stability and security in our portfolio. Accordingly, during the quarter, this portfolio generated the following strong results. Number one, cash flows provided by operating activities, which is a gap measure, increased by $23 million or 41% to $79 million from $56 million in the comparable quarter. Number two, Funds from operations, or FFO, which is a measure of our income generating capacity, increased by $8 million, or 8.7%, to $96 million from $88 million in the comparable quarter. On a per unit basis, FFO was $0.56, cents, which is $0.04, cents or 7.7% higher than the comparable quarter last year. Number three. Adjusted cash flow from operations, or ACFO, 
which is an indicator of our cash generating ability, increased by $11 million or 13% to $90 million from $79 million in the comparable quarter last year. And then finally, number four, the surplus of ACFO over distributions, which is an empirical measure that identifies our ability to fund unit distributions from actual cash generated by the business, increased by $7 million to $10 million from $3 million in the comparable quarter, and reflects a payout ratio of 88.6%, which is a demonstrable improvement over the comparable quarter last year. These continued strong operating metrics are indicative of our portfolio's continued unique ability to demonstrate steady growth and strong cash flow generation. We often speak about our portfolio stability, which is highlighted by our same property NOI growth level, which for the quarter was 0.3%. This is indicative of a high quality portfolio with continued industry-leading occupancy levels anchored by our core group of tenants led by Walmart. And they've permitted us to generate stronger rent collections, as Mr. Ford and Mr. Goldhar uh, mentioned earlier, in these uncertain times. These improved quarterly results can be attributed to the following primary factors. Number one, the incremental net operating income, or NOI, being generated from new tenants at both the KPMG and the PWC towers. Number two, continued increasing net operating income being generated from both the expanded Toronto premium outlets and the continuously improving premium outlets in Montreal, in addition to recent earnouts and other developments. Number three, Lower interest costs associated with our portfolio of maturing mortgages and unsecured debt continue to provide unsecured fixed-rate refinancing opportunities at lower rates than the outgoing maturing rates. Number four, additional percentage rent, parking revenue, and other miscellaneous revenue. And lastly, number five, lower general and administrative costs. And now let's focus on our balance sheet. As we know, these challenging times will test the balance sheets of most real estate companies. However, for many years now, we have encouraged the capital markets to focus on our commitment to the balance sheet, our unyielding attention to both conservative capital management and liquidity, our discipline in the deployment of capital on acquisitions and developments, and our continued desire to match gearing and similar debt levels to the long-term nature of our assets. This strategic focus on long-term viability and growth will assist us to manage through this current period of uncertainty. In this regard, we note the following highlights relative to the comparable quarter last year. Number one, our unencumbered pool of assets of $5.6 billion has increased by $1.1 billion, or 24%. Number two, our debt-to-aggregate assets ratio continues at a very conservative 43.3% level. Number three, our weighted average interest rate for all debt was 3.4% as compared to 3.7% in 
And even in this challenged period, we continue to be in a position to attract debt capital at historically low rates for longer terms. Number four, our interest coverage ratio improved further to 4.1 times from 3.8 times, and our adjusted debt to adjusted EBITDA multiple was 8.2 times. Both metrics reflecting the business's strong ability to fund its obligations in uncertain times. And then lastly, number five, as a result of this ongoing commitment to the balance sheet, in December of 2019, we received an upgrade to our credit rating from DBRS to triple B high. Recall that when we embarked upon this strategic initiative over two years ago, approximately two-thirds of our debt was sourced from secured lenders, a metric that has now almost reversed, whereby 64% of the REIT's debt is now sourced in the unsecured market. From a liquidity perspective, as we look to the immediate future and plan through the current environment, in addition to the conservative debt metrics noted above, please also consider the following. Number one, we do not have any maturing debt in the second quarter of this year, and only $70 million, that's seven zero million million in mortgages maturing later in the year, as well as $250 million in unsecured debentures that come due in December. And it's interesting to note that we continue to speak with market participants concerning appropriate repayment alternatives associated with these maturing amounts. Number two, with the support of our board and as both a conservative and a strategic initiative and to ensure that we have ample liquidity when and if needed during this period, we recently drew down on $410 million from our operating line. And in addition, we have a $250 million undrawn accordion feature that is available to us. Number three, we continue to deploy a strategy that permits construction of any large development project to begin when it has appropriate project financing in place. And in this regard, we have ample undrawn amounts available on our construction facility lines to ensure project completion of each of our various development projects. Number four, we continue to receive reverse inquiries and other strong levels of support and interest from participants in the bond market, and the overall costs of issuance have returned to those levels that were in place at the end of 2019. And in this regard, we continue to closely monitor these debt capital markets. And then lastly, number five, the closings of the first two phases of the transit city condos are expected to begin in Q3 of this year, and we expect our share of the net proceeds to exceed $60 million, that's six zero million, which will be which will be used to further fortify our liquidity needs both in 2020 and in 2021. And finally, we'd like to take a moment to thank all of our friends in the capital, banking, and financial markets who continue to demonstrate your willingness to offer your assistance to us in these unprecedented times. And to our team of professionals who have worked so valiantly at Smart Centers for your tireless effort and sacrifice to get the job done in these most unusual of circumstances, we say thank you. 
And then lastly, to those frontline workers who continue to sacrifice so much on our behalf, never before have so many owed so much to so few, we say thank you. And with that, I will turn the call back to our operator, Angel, who will uh, coordinate uh, us in addressing your various questions. Thank you. Thank you, sir. If you'd like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, press star 1 to ask a question, and we will pause for just a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal for questions. One moment, please. And your first question comes from the line of uh, Mike Marquitas of Desjardins. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks, everybody. Um, Mitch, you gave some uh, interesting, um, I guess, interesting outlook in ter terms of how you expect rent collection to unfold in the second quarter and sort of the back half of this year. I'd, I'd start off by asking if you have any sense uh, or, or timeline or forecast as to how your um, economic occupancy may trend at the same time. Uh, can you hear me? Sorry. Uh, well, I'm um, not sure exactly what you mean, but uh, would you mean where you think we're going to sort of level off by the end of the year in terms of occupancy? Exactly, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it's hard to say because um, obviously everybody is looking at the uh, the rent uh, collection number and you know, percentages and so on, but it's not, it's a bit, uh, you know, it's turning out to be a bit misleading because you know, um, um, because we're we're not collecting from tenants that are you know strong. Uh, so, and uh, I think we and our you know pretty much everybody that's not collecting rent from strong tenants is expecting to collect. In fact, we're starting to see uh, some of that happening. Um, so, um, I was sort of you know talking more to that when I was uh, talking about those numbers. Look, there are a handful of tenants that um, are not strong or not, uh, you know, you are not uh, as strong, and uh, their survival will, you know, kind of depend on on exactly how long this goes, and and of course, if there's a program for them, and um, and you know, I, mean, I guess ultimately if. You know how they how they do when things come back. So yeah, we've modeled it every you can imagine. We've modeled it every every which way. So um, I mean, uh, if nothing changes and nobody you know nobody there's no casualties, then we'll see ourselves back where we were. Um, that's why I said between you know 85 and 90. That's our range for when things you know, all get collected. Um, and if government programs, as stated, come through. Um, but um, and 98, but we don't know uh, what will happen with the ones that uh, that are not in that calculation. Um, now, if there are some bankruptcies um, along the way, uh, that doesn't mean that we won't get uh, any rent from them. I mean, very often it does result in in, re in retail. It, it very often results in pruning of locations. And uh, reopening, and, and reopening can actually mean reopening with a uh, you know new, improved concept, and obviously stronger company. But it does result in um, you know some 
some vacancies and lost um, uh, revenue. But it's not of the COVID, you know, wildest dreams um, kind of, you know, orders of magnitude. It's kind of more normal course stuff that might get accelerated as a result of the COVID. Um, but uh, that's kind of embedded in the range. So sorry for the long answer, but hope, hopefully that helps. Yeah, that is helpful. Thank you. Um, and, and maybe just for, for Peter, um, I think you mentioned that you have uh, construction financing in place for the stuff that's actually actively under construction. Is that correct? That's correct, Michael. Okay. And um, just curious, um, are there any projects that we'll get are planning to get underway uh, throughout the rest of this year? And if so, how is the market for development financing uh, today? Is that still something that's available to you? Well, it's a two-part question, so maybe Mitch and Peter can answer the first part as far as projects starting this year, and maybe I'll take the second part of the question as far as uh, the market for uh, project financing. Um, yeah, just on the, uh, on the first part, I mean, we will proceed where, you know, every, you know, every box is uh, checked twice, um, including financing, and I'm sure the lenders uh, will also be wanting, you know, every box checked twice. So, uh, you know, we do anticipate that we will start some, some projects um, that are, that are uh, sound, but if they're not and they're not uh, will flow right, uh, we, we won't start them. But uh, we're not starting with a project financing. We're not starting with a belt and suspenders in a crane. Um, um, but I do foresee that we, I could, I, I, I do foresee us starting some projects with all those boxes checked. Uh, Michael, it's Peter. Just to follow along on Mitch's comment, um, we at least are fortunate to be in what I would describe as the enviable position where we have uh, a number of lenders who are, we're working very closely with in establishing uh, several new uh, construction facilities. And so the simple answer from, um, from a market perspective is that construction financing uh, for us is very much available, um, and it's more than competitively priced, uh, notwithstanding that rates, um, rates have gone up since, you know, this initiative uh, uh, took place uh, six or seven weeks ago. We've seen um, the spreads on some of our facilities increase, and that's disappointing. However, on an overall basis, given that the bond rates and, and BA rates have declined, uh, there are some savings in that regard. But to maybe to get back to your question, we certainly do see uh, uh, an ample supply of available credit for construction financing. Okay, so, so no new projects unless there's specific uh, project level financing and that market is open and available. That's, uh, that's it for me, thank you. Yeah. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question, please press star one and we will now take our next question from Sam Damiani of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks and good evening. Um, I may have missed uh, some of the uh, first part of the call, but I just I just heard that you you did draw on the four um, hundred million dollar line with the cash in the bank at the end of March. What was the reason for doing that, and, and is there a, an immediate use of uh, proceeds for for most of that uh, cash? Uh, Sam, it's Peter. Um, so in in you know simple terms, as I think I mentioned, we did it as a sort of a strategic. Uh, initiative to ensure that we had more than ample liquidity 
um, to be able to accommodate uh, the needs of the business uh, over, you know, the next uh, six to eight months. Um, so as far as uh, having a specific use for it currently, uh, we don't have a particular or specific use per se, um, uh, but certainly, you know, as we would expect, uh, it will be used in part at least to accommodate the needs of the business as we go through the next several months. So basically the revenue shortfalls from tenants, uh, tenants deferring rent payments at the moment. Is that the, sort of the main? Yeah, but don't, I mean, let's make sure, and I, may, I want to make sure everybody on the call understands that we don't anticipate or we're not forecasting uh, the quantum of the uh, rent deferrals from our tenants to even come remotely close to the amount that we've drawn on the line. Uh, as I mentioned, this this initiative or, or reason to draw on the line was done strategically in an effort to be to take a very conservative conservative approach to managing the business. Um, you know the amounts that we foresee the business requiring, at least for now. And I think Mitch mentioned, you know, we've gone through. Uh, a plethora of various sensitivities on expectations in collections. And uh, given those various sensitivities uh, that, that have been uh, prepared, it's unreal, unrealistic to think that, you know, we would ever need uh, the full amount, at least for now, on, on what's been drawn. So, it, again, it's more of a defensive measure to ensure that there's more than ample liquidity required or, sorry, available um, as we move forward. Okay. And uh, just on the rent collections, I don't, certainly don't want to belabor the point, but I just want to be clear because the presentation of the information is a little bit different uh, from some of the REITs. So did you collect the same amount of rent in April as you press released a couple weeks ago, or, or was it you know, up by a percent or two? Just trying to be clear. Um, April has gone up by a percent or two, to use your words. Okay. And, and any, any, just finally, any, sorry. I do want to point out that it may go up some more, actually, um, April. I mean, we got, we got no, we got a note, we got a, we got a note today from a major defaulter um, who's strong <laughs> that they're going to um, uh, pay April's rent. I mean, you know, we, we don't calculate until it's, you know, in, in you know happen but um, so we do we do anticipate April's rent to uh, to still go up and um, um, and we haven't factored in any of the deals that the government are offering to small business I mean um, correct me if I'm wrong Rudy I think that represents about uh, is it um, six million I can't remember how many it is a year but there's a lot of our small tenants doesn't make up a huge percentage of our business but it's still a lot of money um, that if we were to apply for it and it was all in all other equal everything else being equal um, we would collect 75% uh, of that whereas right now we deferred them all and you know obviously you know it's a, it, it was an unknown a month ago exactly how to how to treat that in in that number that range that I gave you we used it as 75% um, uh, 75% of the small tenant just so you just to reiterate that <clears throat> um, so um, um, and we expect May to be 
the same, and I know we all, you know, everybody was was wondering what was going to happen in in May, um, but May seems to sort of be trending. Um, uh, one, uh, you know, everything everything seems to be almost identical to starting off to the beginning of May, similar to the beginning of April, um, and with one exception, and uh, maybe we're we're seeing there might be two exceptions. Um, but I don't want to go into those level of detail right now, but uh, we expect May to be sort of similar to April, the way April panned out, the way April turned out, and maybe even a little better. Okay. That's helpful. Um, and just finally, um, do you have any, like, what's your best visibility on, on the trend in occupancy for the second quarter at this, uh, at this stage? I mean, occupancy as defined as, you know, open, or I mean, just in terms of like actual legally have uh, leasehold interest. I mean, you know, I guess leasehold interest, we had 98% going, you know, legally, technically, we have, um, you know, we, we legally technically have 98%, I guess, occupied, but I don't think that's what you mean, because we have a lot of defaulting tenants. Uh, which we have not terminated, uh, but we have set up such that we have the right to terminate. Um, and, you know, we are, you know, obviously monitoring and evaluating the pros and cons of that every day. Um, but, um, I mean, 60% of our space right off the bat is is open um, because they're essential services as defined by, by, the, by most all the provinces. And uh, so... Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if I answered your question, but um, those. No, that's helpful. I was thinking more on a on a committed basis. You know, if you're if you're you know 98 percent today, is there is there expected to be slippage just because of the lack of, you know, uh, ability to get get leasing transaction completed as efficiently as it was three months ago? Yeah, you got to figure. There's you got to figure. There's going to be slippage. I mean. Um, uh, you know, we don't have specific, we don't have anything specific as imminent, but sure, of course, now that I've said that, tomorrow, you know, somebody will announce some slippage. But um, but uh, you got to figure there's going to be some slippage, and uh, uh, there's probably going to be some slippage just anyway. Um, this might have induced um, some of it, but we don't have any. We're, we're not aware of anything that's about to happen. And the ones that are the most fragile, <clears throat> we are going to try and help as much as possible. Um, but in terms of where are we going to end up, I mean, you know, if we got to sort of just pick a number, we, we haven't. We haven't picked a number. But whatever it is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very workable. From, for us, both from the point of view of financially um, and from the point of view of taking the opportunity, because you know, thankfully we are dealing with um, we are dealing with well-located real estate. It's not like we're embedded in some deeply, you know, in, you know wasteland of industrial uh, business park somewhere, and it's all fungible. This stuff is not fungible, so obviously we'll be trying to turn any setback into an advance, and it plays right into our development program. And I guess I didn't mention the fact that, you know, these defaults do open up opportunities for us to accelerate certain things. Um, you know, I don't think people really in the public markets fully appreciate how much development or certainly land use amendments are worth. But, you know, you don't see a lot of publicly traded 
pure development companies because you know there's a lot they're making too much money to be public to be honest with you and most developers don't don't have an interest in that but it is a very lucrative end of the business and we will be using you know uh, you know some of these you know what you call slippage or any other situations to um, uh, seize upon them if they in fact will um, play into or in the service of our of our more uh, you know long-term vision of, of any site and I will also point out in default a lot of tenants will have given up rights, even though they may end up paying. They may have given up rights that they had over the site from various points of view, um, and that's not even to talk about municipalities, you know, motivation to generate uh, economic activity and their openness and willingness and whatnot, even sympathetic to, um, you know, what's happened with uh, with this uh, period of time on, on retailers and retail owners, uh, retail real estate owners, in terms of land use amendments. So it's not all what just meets the, uh, the naked eye. Um, so yes, on the surface, there probably will be some slippage, but nothing that's going to, you know, it's not going to rock our world. We'll deal, we'll deal with it. Thank you very much. And we'll take our next question from Jenny Ma of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks. Good evening, everyone. Uh, this question is probably for Peter Sweeney, but I'm, I'm trying to reconcile the cash drawdown. Um, if you give us just a little bit more color sort of around the thinking because um, I'm just wondering if this was done sort of in the, the depths of uh, the market downturn and you had made some comments about the unsecured market opening up at rates that were similar to what we saw at year end. So with that development, does it change your view on this? And I, and I recognize, you know, we're talking five-year terms versus just the draw on the facility, but uh, I guess that the improvement in the credit markets gives you more assurance that the credit will be there if you need it and, and not to actually hold on to all that cash? Uh, it's, it's a good question, Jenny, and uh, I think the, the simple answer is, and I'm certainly not trying to be coy or cute, but the simple answer is, it's for us at least, it's too early to say. Um, you know, we did draw the funds on our line just before the end of the quarter when, as you say, we were sort of in the depths of uncertainty vis-a-vis -vis the financial markets. Uh, and since then, at least in the bond market, there has been a continuous improvement and further clarity of, the, of that market opening up. And um, as I mentioned, our 10-year rate today would actually be lower, a little lower than what we were uh, able to secure money for back in December. Having said that, however, uh, you know, our board uh, wanted us to be both conservative and strategic in how we ventured into this pandemic period. And in that regard, you know, we established, uh, we established a, a, a group of different measurements and initiatives that we thought would be appropriate um, to roll out to ensure that coming through this, um, we were uh, fortified in both financial and operational, from both an operational and financial perspective. Um, and so the simple answer is we haven't thought yet about, um, about repaying this, uh, notwithstanding the improvement of the markets. And there's still perhaps a few chapters left in this uh, COVID-19 pandemic that have not been written yet that none of us uh, can predict. And so for, you know, anybody who's been through, as Mitch mentioned and Peter mentioned earlier, this company's been through lots of different challenging periods over the last uh, almost 30 years. 
And the one thing you know coming through these periods is that there will be things that will surprise you. And by taking this uh, strategic move uh, or initiative as we did, we're at least hoping um, that we can mitigate or diminish perhaps any potential surprises that we haven't factored in into our planning. Okay, uh, that's, that's a good uh, answer. I'm just wondering, so I guess in that sense, would it be fair to expect that this cash will be outstanding for the balance of the year regardless of how the credit markets shape up then? Yeah, I don't think we'd, we'd make such a strong statement. Uh, I think um, it, it would likely be an expectation that we'll, we'll monitor this almost on a weekly basis to see and to be able to make that kind of prediction, uh, at least at this point, I think is almost impossible. Um, so we'll see. And, and again, I'm not trying to be coy or avoid your question at all. I'm just saying for now, uh, we're unsure. And when you're unsure in situations like this, you do what you think is appropriate to safeguard the business, to safeguard the viability of the business, and to put yourself in a position, as I think we've done, to accommodate any of the unexpected or unknown needs that might come our way over, you know, over the uh, the remaining months of the year. So we'll see. That's that's really the the, the simple answer. Okay. Uh, thank you. Uh, and then wanted to ask about Reitman's. Uh, have you heard anything from them directly about uh, what their intentions may be, um, and and whether or not maybe you have a view towards um, them looking at certain labels that they might. Uh, reconfigure or rationalize or sort of any color you have on the Reitman story? Look, at Reitman's has themselves indicated some vulnerability. So obviously, yeah, we all have to take that seriously. But no, they have not, you know, we have no additional, you know, information, you know, that would, uh, you know, be able to determine, you know, what, what their, I guess, future is in the various banners, but um, they've been, you know, they've been forthright with us, um, and uh, um, you know, you know, so you kind of have to wait and see, partly to see if they qualify for for any of the um, government pro programs that are being proposed, or being proposed. I mean, being um, discussed to be ultimately proposed or brought forward for larger non-essential retailers. Um, yeah, I mean, look at um, if any large retailer, uh, large in terms of number of units like that, um, you know, doesn't make it, uh, we will just, you know, have to deal with it. We got a big exposure to to, uh, to Reedman's, and we will be doing everything to help them that we think is reasonable, um, and uh, you know, we'll be certainly, you know, cheering them on to to get it together um, in terms of coming out of this, um, you know. Um, uh, you know, you know, the ground running. Uh, but if anyone, um, you know, any exposure like that doesn't make it, as I said earlier, uh, we will just uh, we will deal with it. We will start with the releasing and or repositioning uh, of that space. Um, and uh, the ones that we see that fall into that category. You know, we don't want it. We, 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 we you know, we, we, you know, we're, we're not happy about it. But, uh, but, uh, you know, we're, you know, we'll deal with it. It's not gonna, it's, it's not gonna, you know, not gonna cripple us or anything. And, um, 
and uh, you know uh, we'll 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 lease it up or redevelop it in in uh, you know a reasonable period of time. Can you comment on whether or not they paid rent in April or May? You know we. Uh, out of respect at the moment for the discussions that are going on with uh, with all uh, you know all all our tenants basically, uh, we've chosen not to um, you know discuss specific tenants um, you know at this time. I think some of some of some people have, and so you probably know through other sources maybe about some of them, but uh, um, but no, we, we're we're. We're choosing to to just deal with that uh, for now, um, you know, directly with our, uh, you know, with our with our tenants. Sure, that's fine. Um, well, I guess maybe I'll, I'll ask about another example that is public in terms of the Gap um, not having paid rent in April and now saying that they're looking to open a number of stores by the end of May. I'm just wondering, from the landlord's perspective, sort of what the the mechanics of that it, uh, are in terms of if they're not paying April rent and they decide to pay May, you know, do you say to them you can't open the store until you know you're current on your rent, or you know, do you leave that discussion for another time, just given the current circumstances? Like, how does how do you reconcile that situation? You know, it's a good question because. Um you know, so the, the the answer is it depends, and I think every landlord would say the same thing. Um, I think you would say the same thing if you were if you were in our in our shoes, or if you had a tenant in in anything that you might you know. It just depends, and so um, uh, each one is uh, is unique. In fact, it's 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 partly a good thing because it gives landlords an opportunity to. To discuss the lease in totality because they're in default, um, so we need to come to terms, and landlords, you know, do do have rights. Um, same time, we're not in the business of creating vacancies, you know, we're in the business of you know collecting rent. So uh, it's a balance between the benefits and costs of uh, you know of, of of whatever they can, you know, whatever whatever they're prepared to do and whatever we're prepared to accept keeping in mind where we're headed. I mean, most of our most of our real estate we see as having, you know, higher and better uses, but we obviously would like to get there, collecting as much rent along the way, um, you know, in its its current and historic form. So, you know, we'll be weighing all those things. So each and every one depends on which center they're in, where they are in the center, and and um, and what they're proposed to be and what they're prepared to, to pay and other terms in the lease. So it's it's very interesting. It's obviously this is uh, all of our first uh, pandemic. So um, we are um, you know working our way. You know we have had to do these things in the past, but not with so many tenants at once. Um, but um, we've all done it before so uh, yeah we'll it'll all come it'll all become clearer Jenny in the next uh, you know in the next month or two um, you know some of this stuff will you know will start to happen and and be crystallized and um, you know um, it's it's just in the middle of it right now so we don't know okay that's fair and then just my last question on in terms of rent deposits um, I, I haven't had a chance to look through everything so I'm not sure if you disclosed it but uh, just a general question on commercial rent deposits like how does it really work in terms of the amount you collect do you collect it from everybody 
and is it sort of like a last month rent situation with residential tenants? Um, anything that you could uh, help us with uh, in terms of providing color on that? Yeah, you know, like, um, like uh, you know, internal growth, like, uh, you know, um, yeah, like internal growth, the stronger the tenants, you know, uh, the lower your internal growth is going to be, but you're going to collect more of your rent. And uh, the same thing is true with deposits. The stronger the tenant, the, the less deposits. I think we have about $14 you know, million dollars in deposits, and they are uh, actually related mostly to last month's or security deposits. And so the fewer smaller uh, independent retailers you have, or let's put it this way, the more, the more sort of independent retailers you have, that's who you take the bigger, you know, security deposit, last month's rent. You know, you might even get, you know, you might even get a letter of credit for, for a full year's rent if it's somebody you put up money for and they're not strong, um, but you wanted to, you know, you wanted to bet on them. And, um, I mean, uh, and, and, you know, you might even have a full year's letter of credit for rent. Um, um, but those are generally related to the smaller, more independent. You know, like you know, you don't you don't need to. You generally speaking, you you know, you, 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 I, I'm not going to ask Walmart for their last month's rent, um, and um, and or you know, Loblaws or you know, those tenants. They just don't. They don't. It's just not industry standard. So yeah, if they default, you get their deposits, but you don't. You know, you, you know that's the last resort. Um, you know, um, generally speaking, you want to work out deals with everybody, and the beauty is that we we are in the time business, and we can, you know, we are in a very specific moment in time. It is temporal, and so we can you know we can work with time to help out most tenants, and not necessarily have to you know uh, end up taking their deposit and creating a vacancy. Um, but uh, if we did, we have up to $14 million of those. Okay, great. Thank you, and I'll turn it back. And we'll take our next question from Tal Woolley of National Bank of Nova Scotia. Please go ahead. National Bank of, uh, National Bank of Nova Scotia. If, I, if you look at uh, in your supplemental on page uh, 16, um, you've got your sort of gross rent um, exposures by retail category. Um, I'm just wondering, like, if, you know, where that sits now, like, is, are you guys happy where that mix is right now? Or, you know, I'm just wondering how your thinking is changing going forward, like, um, you know, would, should we expect to see those uh, exposures shift over Sorry, I'll answer this one as well, but I mean, we are happy with our mix. I mean, look, um, we we're value. We 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 set out and continue to sort of own price, just like Walmart owns price in retail. We sort of own value and price in in retail centers. We have very low average rents. We're probably the lowest in terms of average rents in in our uh, industry uh, and we probably have the lowest coverage on our properties and we probably have the lowest amount of enclosed mall square footage this is all part of way of saying the same thing and we like all of those things and we don't really want to change it other than the fact that we are um, you know uh, very development intensification minded and have been for the last five years um, takes a long time to get those things 
airborne. So, yes, where there's always going to be, you know, it's Darwin. There's always going to be some weakness and weak links. Maybe there's some places where we have a huge center, and we ended up with categories that are not our bread and butter. Um, so we're... But we, we, we will be, generally speaking, shrinking the overall retail square footage in our portfolio continuously ad infinitum and have been. And, um, you know, obviously we'll want to keep the strongest um, wherever possible. But, um, um, but generally speaking, we do like the value-oriented space. And, um, um, of course, it includes banks and it includes you know, restaurants and it includes lots of things that are complementary to it. But our bread and butter is to cater to sort of the all Canadians in terms of their, their, their budget and their income and their uh, family structure. And um, with a few exceptions, I'd say we're pretty happy in we don't see ourselves doing an about face. The only about face is that we want to shrink our retail in general, um, and we want to increase uh, the other categories, the other the other sectors. On the new leasing side, um, you know, you guys, like you said, you've got a, you've got a good niche in sort of value retail. Um, do you have any like you know, given your hits, you know, given your long history in the market, like in sort of periods like this where the market gets disrupted, do you have a sense of like is trying to do new leasing for value retailers, is that easier, harder, like the same, like versus a market where things are, you know, really strong? Like do you have any sort of history that you can draw on to go? Well, I idea? think that the trend is um so it's funny when things are hot and there's more money flowing. Um, we see. Um, um, first of all, look. At, I should start by saying everybody shops at Walmart, just like they shop. Everybody shops at blah blahs. There's no point in in trying to define that demographic because same person who shops at Old Renfrew shops at Walmart, and. Uh, and um, so, yeah, I mean, Walmart in Canada is not, you know, the same as Walmart in certain other countries. Um, Walmart in Canada is the general merchandiser, the discount general merchandiser, and the department store all in one, along with the, the grocery store. Um, and Walmart is used to operating and winning in markets that are fiercely competitive, much more so than Canada. And that's not to say that in food we don't have some fantastic and fantastically competitive retailers, but in general merchandise there's nobody that touches them and consumables and so on. Uh, but still, on, uh, on, on, on groceries, they're the largest grocer in the world. I think most people probably know that. Um, but then in, in tough times, of course, um, people spend less, but more people go, the people who go there um, in less frequently go there more frequently, and generally speaking, everybody, as the average checkout is lower. So this is what we found over the last, you know, 30 years is that, uh, yeah, when things are piping hot, um, um, the bread and butter customer spends more. And uh, the the wealthier end of the spectrum goes there less frequently, um, um, but still go. And in tough times, um, the wealthier go more often, and uh, the um, the bulk of the market um, spend less on an average checkout. Um, 
So for Canada, you know, the value oriented is very well, I think, well, very well suited, very much aligned with Canadian reality, um, and that's sort of just one of the things that swings. It sort of ends up being a fixed one half dozen the other. That's what we have found over 30 years. And I, when I started out, I wondered that myself, by the way. Um, and then, Peter, uh, you had made reference to uh, 60 million, I believe, uh, in cash flow from uh, condo gains uh, this year. That is both the gains and the capital coming back to you. It's not just the gains. No, I uh, tell what I did say was that we expect in 2020 and 2021 on a combined basis, where from TC one, two, and three, we would uh, receive approximately 60 million dollars of profit. That's in excess of our capital coming back, so to speak. Um, that is that is allocated between 20 and 21, Tal. The, the expected uh, net proceeds for 2020 at this point uh, would approximate about 36 million of the six, 60 million, give or take. So that's, at least for now, that's where the expectations are. And, uh, just lastly, um, so you know, we've had uh, just a question about the accounting for um, as these as these relief programs come down. Um, you know, one of the difference between you guys doing your own deferral is that you still book, you're still going to be booking the revenue within FFO. Um, but if you participate in these programs, like the uh, haircut that you have to take on the rent, that that would get reflected in FFO. Correct. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, the simple answer is for now there are so many unanswered questions, Tal, associated with uh, any of these um, programs, and it's too early to say. But okay. you know, I think it's it's fair to say that we would expect, to the extent that we participate in one of those programs, and we would have to absorb some of that, that there would be an expected impact to FFO. How it gets distributed over what time frame um, remains to be seen, and we're trying to work out that detail, i.e., does it get reflected in the current year? Does it get reflected as a pickup over the remaining term of the lease? And in some cases, I think, as Mitch mentioned earlier, you know, we have an opportunity now to extend some leases uh, given the negotiations that are going on. So we may have an opportunity as well to you know, perhaps uh, take some of these potential uh, discounts and apply them over what would otherwise be an extended or what should be viewed as an extended period. Um, so at least for now, those are the that's the thinking. How it actually impacts the 2020 FFO or financial results for now is uh, frankly unknown. And as I said, there's still a number of other questions associated with these programs that us and every other major landlord in the country are trying to get certain details and a further understanding of. So we'll be able, I think, to come back to you with a little more clarity um, at some point down the road, but for now it's, it's, it's still early days. Okay, perfect. Thanks, gentlemen. Okay. And we will take our final question from the line of Pamni Beer of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, hi, everyone. Um, you know, just in the past, there's, when there's been closures from, you know, apparel retailers and restaurants, can you just comment on the types of tenants that have helped backfill that space over the last few years and, uh, and whether that source of demand, you know, do you see that uh, source continuing going forward? 
Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think it will be um, tougher this time if there's, you know, if there's, uh, you know, bankruptcies, failures, um, you know, large bankruptcies and failures, and and within what I was referring to, the ones that are, you know, uh, on the margins. Um, than it has been in the past. Um, so, but interestingly enough, I mean, especially in Canada where we do have much fewer square feet per capita than in most other countries and certainly in the U.S., uh, good retail locations have been resilient. Um, the good retailers are always looking at new concepts or looking for additional space or expanding. I do, though, think just intuitively, uh, gut says it'll be a little bit slower. In the past, you know, it's always been a when somebody's busting, somebody's booming. And uh, you know, uh, TJX, uh, you know, was booming when uh, you know, I don't know, when when certain other categories I don't want to name names were 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 not doing well, and so a lot of it just you know continues to move. Well the square footage per capita continues to shrink in Canada because we're not the only ones shrinking retail and nobody's building new retail for all intents and purposes. So, you know, but I do think it will take longer to lease it up, um, whatever vacancies come out of, uh, you know, this, this, um, this particular, you know, event. Having said that, though, I do think that there will be the the the, the this sort of silver lining is that in a number of cases the redevelopability of that of those spaces to alternate uses um, I think will be quicker in terms of getting approvals um, and will be more lucrative ultimately than releasing them. Um, but there will be the exceptions, and there will be lots of spaces that will sit around empty for a prolonged period of time. Um, but ultimately, I think the benefits of all this, like that, the opportunities to develop, if you can do it and you have good locations, will outweigh the cost. But I do think there will be some, there will be some vacancies that will take a lot longer to lease up at the end of this one. Yep. Guy, just one last one. You know, I realize obviously it's early days, but you know, as we've kind of worked through this pandemic, um, you know, have have you seen any new sources of demand for space at your centers? We've seen uh, we've seen retailers calling up about the renewals um, and renewing or negotiating, commencing their negotiations for renewals. Um, you know, it's yeah. I mean, you, 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 you know, everybody needs to factor in both sides of this equation. It is not, it is not like a one-way thing. Uh, because, for example, I mean, with deferrals and other negotiations, it could result in you know, renewals. Not just the renewals I was just referring to, but renewals that aren't even due, that aren't even up. I mean, I'm sure you would do the same. That if, uh, that if, um, you know, if a tenant needed uh, some accommodation in a handful of locations that you have, um, you would say, okay, that's fine. But I, I, you know, you have three years left on your lease. It's not time to renew. But we'd like you to exercise your first five-year renewal. And um, so. Um, we have seen so that 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 in the medium term will result in fewer less turnover um, and longer average lease terms. Um, and some tenants have who have their renewal up now are. But in terms of calling up and saying, you know, uh, you know, 
your vacancy over there and you know wherever wherever uh, we'd be interested in um, talking about that. Not a lot of that going on, as you can imagine. Everybody's you know just certainly the last month everybody was just hunkering down in a way for the worst potential scenario and. Um, but the ones that we were already negotiating, the ones that were going on, nobody's really wanted to walk away from those. Those negotiations are just sort of being put on pause, and everybody's keeping everybody warm. Um, so it's hard to say. It's probably more or less what you'd expect. And um, and now that things are a little bit a little bit more clear, uh, I'm not saying they're good, but they're a little more clear. Um, um, people are starting to, um, you know talk about the things that we were talking about before all this happened. Um, so I don't know, Rudy, if you want to add anything to that. Um, no, Mitch, I'd say, I'd say a lot of what was happening, it's exactly what you just described, a lot of what was happening uh, before the Christmas and into the early part of the new year was already happening with some of the retailers who didn't want certain locations were already talking to us about not wanting locations in certain locations they were in, and we were already talking to the likes of, you know, uh, service and food and, 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 and medical and, and, and ethnic grocers and farm boys and dollar stores. Like, we were already in the midst of all of those discussions in the first sort of two to three months of this year, you know, um, TJX expansions into the combos, um, you know, the Winner's Home Sense and Health Foods, all of those conversations have just been paused and nobody has come back to us and said we don't want to do those. So we're still, we're still, we still have all, all of those alive. Everything's just right now paused. So yeah, um, they so haven't said they don't want them. That's for sure, and that's pretty interesting. But I don't want to paint such a, I don't want to make this all seem like oh, you know, everything is, uh, you know, roses because obviously it's not. But you know, there are some examples. I mean. We, we we were about to start construction on something where the tenant is like you know you know just uh, hucking us to start construction of their new unit in a particular market <laughs> you know uh, you know solid tenant a solid company um, and in Aurora uh, I don't think it's a, necessarily a wheat site but just however indicative it may be you know uh, a farm boy with a TJX and some other retail um, you know is was all set and ready to go um, and uh, they all you know, they all call up about, you know, when are we getting our unit? Um, now, we paused it uh, because we wanted, like everybody else, wanted to see what we're dealing with. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about short time frames here. Real estate, real estate operates in geological time frames. So a month to us is, is like, you know, it's like, a, you know, it's like an hour in real life. So, I mean, um, you know, it's nothing to pause for a month. Um, but no, they want it, and uh, we're the ones who are um, saying, let's just uh, uh, hold tight. So, for whatever that's worth, I mean, it's not a great amount of data points there, but, um, um, but you know, there's, 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 there's lots more to it than, um, you know, there's a lot more to it than you might think. Thanks very much. And there are no further questions at this time. I would now like to hand it back over to Mr. Ford for any additional or closing remarks. Oh, I appreciate that. Again, I want to thank you all for taking the time to participate in our first quarter call and uh, just say uh, please stay safe. Good night. And this concludes today's call. We thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect your lines and have a wonderful day, everyone. 
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.